Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome into it. Outkick the morning with me, Charlie Arnold. It is Friday, our favorite day of the week because it means the week's over. Um, okay, so I'm always on here sharing little stories, anecdotes about myself. Uh, I feel like I've lived many lives. You know, I'm, I'm here at Outkick and Fox now. But before this, you all know I was at ESPN. But before that, I was working in the world of pro wrestling. Yes, you know me as Charlie Arnold now, but I'm sure many of you. Uh, I'm probably taking for granted how many people are still tuning in, which, by the way, I'm so ultra grateful for, uh, have been following me since my days when I was referred to as Charlie Caruso. Uh, yes, that was my WWE name. And uh, story behind that, I'll just share very quickly. Uh, they let us choose our WWE name. I'm Italian. I went through italianlastnames.com. I saw Caruso, and I was like, this is amazing. Uh, so then Charlie Caruso was born. Uh, anyways, now being here um, at Outkick and Fox, I have met someone who shares a similar background as I do. You've definitely heard of him. His name is Tyrus, wrestler in the WWE, former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Well, I decided that it was time to get to know Tyrus in a brand new light. Uh, the man has had so many different titles in his life that I wanted to get to know him from the inside out. And now here he is, without further ado, Tyrus, I don't even know how to properly introduce you because there's so many different titles that you hold, but I tried to make a list of just a few of them. You can add in more. I have Fox News contributor. I have former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. I have comedian, actor, entertainer, former security detail. Am I missing anything? Jack of all trades, master of some. I think that's probably the best. Been, I've had a lot of jobs, wear a lot of hats. But uh, yeah, Tyrus is also fine too. I'm not really big on titles. So, um, you know, we're in entertainment. So we're, we cover a lot of bases. So, but that, I think that did, I think they got a good job. I think that's. I did an okay Bob. Okay, cool. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so that's kind of where I want to start because you have just done so much so far in your lifetime. I have to imagine more things will be added to the resume eventually as time goes on. Like, wh where did it all begin? Just like, let's start at the beginning. Wh when did you start getting into, I mean, I guess, I don't, I don't even know where you, you tell me where to start. Um, when did I start showing off? Cause that's kind of what, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, I think just as a, as a child, like, uh, Oh, I'm an author too. Uh, I guess. Oh, we, oh yeah. I forgot that one. New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, I got a lot of titles, uh, but you know that and a cup of coffee still costs as much as a cup of coffee. So, um, my uh, upbringing, we didn't have much. So, uh, and um, it was a pretty. Uh, my mother was in a really abusive relationship, so it was kind of my role to make her laugh all the time. Like that was kind of like what I always kind of did. I did weird things like you know, goofy kid stuff. Uh, probably the dumbest thing I ever did was. My mom was particularly sad one day and we had this pepper plant. So I decided to walk over and eat a pepper to make her laugh. And was not, uh, it was not a good move on my part. I, to this day, I hate spicy food, but uh, no, no. Yeah. I would do things. I would just try to do things or say things. And I think a lot of it has to do with. Um, uh, I have this thing for wanting to know everything. I think when you grow up in, in situations where, things change like that you want to always kind of be one step ahead of everything so I always wanted to know uh everything so I wouldn't be surprised by anything so I kind of like when I got into uh school and stuff there was like there was not a book that I didn't want to read I had to know everything I, I didn't like not knowing what was going to happen next so I'm horrible with cliffhanger movies and things like that like I'll, I'll go insane so I got to know what happened next so I think that had a lot to do with it and just the personality and being competitive and and just always trying to not focus on the negativity so much. So um, I think that's where where it really started. And then just accomplishing a few tasks, getting good at stuff. Um, watching TV, I probably shouldn't have. I watched a lot of uh, Richard Pryor videotapes on my mom work nights. Uh, a lot of mom and Ali's stuff. So. The trash talking just kind of came together. Plus, being in the schoolyard, like boys growing up, man, it was 
it was kickball and trash talking and I can I was blessed with having what my nickname was Thunderfoot in kickball because I could usually hit the ball pretty far but uh it wasn't really even how far kicking it was me talking to everybody while I ran the bases even my uh um, this January 27th I'm going into uh my junior college hall of fame and um you know one of the things that my office line coach used to say was he never understood how I was able to talk the entire game like I would never shut up. I was always just running my mouth. And he's like, did you ever breathe out there? And I was just like, coach, it's just how I played. I just, you know, I'd find stuff out about the guy and start talking to him if he was in a bad relationship or he had a low GPA. I think that's probably the meanest thing I ever did was like, you know, it's going to be really kind of hard to focus on this game with, you you know, failing chemistry and everything. When your GPA is <laughs> like a 1-5, bro. Like, I don't you know. So, uh, you know, the guy make a mistake or you'd pancake him. I'm like, well, that explains a lot, you know. So, playing those mind games and stuff. And it just kind of developed in the locker room. And I was always the funniest guy in the locker room. And it's just kind of grown into that. And now the locker room is is a TV camera. And you, there's so many different directions. I feel like your life could have gone on, gone in. Uh, you, you just talked about you were an athlete. You played football. You played football at Oklahoma. You had several tryouts to some NFL teams. Could have gone on to be a professional athlete. I mean, you were a professional athlete, but in a different realm besides football. Um, you have your background in wrestling. I mean, right, right now you, we see you on TV all the time, talking news, politics. Uh, I know you have an upcoming cameo with the Simpsons. I don't want to get ahead of myself. When did you realize what, what was the best route for you to take? I, I still haven't realized that. And, um, small correction, uh, university of Nebraska at Kearney, although I did have a scholarship uh, to Oklahoma. I did. Sorry, Wikipedia lies. Yeah, no, I always talk about Oklahoma had the most beautiful recruiting letters you have ever seen. They're like glossy and like fancy, and they had like a picture of the weight room in the back. So oh. Oklahoma, oh yeah, um, I easily we well we we could easily be doing this interview from me inside of a jail cell. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> no, honestly like you yeah. know like well it would be like because it was a lot of times where um, I was around situations where I could have took penitentiary chances. Um, when you got Miss Meal Cramp. In terms of what? Like, was there a certain part of your life where you were starting to get really mixed up? I think there was when you're, when you're, you go from when you're a kid, you're like afraid and trying to figure everything out. And then you're like a young man and then you're lost. And like, for me, I was angry. I was mad at the world. Uh, I was out of the house around 16. You know, when I was on the football field or, or, the track or, or basketball or even uh, drama classes, I was fine. But once I was away from those things and I was around peers, you get a bunch of young brothers or even it doesn't really matter the color of the skin. You get a bunch of young men around together with no real direction, uh, no role models. Bad things happen. And you start uh, at that time, uh, NWA was like the thing in California. You know, everyone was wearing Raider jackets and, and, and hats and lokes and, it was in style to be tough. And, and you're from where exactly? Uh, I'm from everywhere, but I grew up in California. So okay. uh, you I was grew up in North in Cal or? Southern Cal. Southern LA. Cal. Yeah. Um, I was born. It was weird. My mom was 15 when she got pregnant with me. She had me at 16, but in Boston at the time, and I wasn't born in the 60s or any stuff, shit like that, but at the time, um, statutory rape was... They didn't mess around in Boston. And technically, it was illegal for a black man and a white woman to get married, let alone have a baby. They did fix the law in 1986. I, you know, that's progress. But uh, so what would have happened was my biological father would have been arrested in the hospital. Wow. So his family went to the one place you can go uh, where you can pretty much do anything you want, New Hampshire. And so I was born in Exeter, New Hampshire. At, at a hospital and then I was brought back to uh Lynn Massachusetts area and then I was there so I was in a foster family for a little while and then um some stuff went down and my mom had to make some tough choices uh good choices talk a lot about it in my in my first book um and then we were reunited and by that time she had her nursing degree and she was uh in California so I grew up uh, all over Southern California we moved around quite a bit wherever she had a new job would travel. She worked nights, uh, latchkey kid. But um, there was 
it was this thing where if you didn't belong to anything, you had to belong to something and being a crip or a blood was a big thing. And then, yeah. um, then, and, and not just that, but even it was like, even if you didn't belong to anything, you and three friends would all of a sudden start calling yourself some kind of clicker. It was just like the, you'd band up and you just have really no direction. Uh, and then you'd see the guys who were selling drugs and stuff. They had gold chains. They had cars with Dayton's. They had the old school Cadillacs pimped out. And I had a pair of uh, knockoff Jordans with the check, not even the J's. You know what I'm saying? So you yeah. see all that stuff. And you, when you see the rappers and stuff and you want you want those things, but you have no idea how to how to go get it because you got to sit there and be in class. But luckily, there was always a voice in my head that kept me connected to my education. and. Um, you know, I had good teachers and good coaches and stuff, but there was those times where, you, you know, are you getting in the car? Are we going to go do this? You know, yeah. and then the last second, uh, I'm not going to do it. And um, there was a few times in my life where I could have made the wrong choice and easily could end up like a lot of my uh, friends that I grew up with. Uh, they're in the same place where I left them, you know what I'm saying? And not in terms oh, yeah. like I kept going, searching for stuff, but it was a tough road, man. I got fired, got told no so much all the time. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that the, the word no, I just, I'm a firm believer in not accepting no from anyone. Someone tells you can't do something. Uh, it's always, I'm a spite guy. So if you reject me or tell me I'm not good enough, you've inspired you. Yeah. And um, which is funny as a parent now, that's the last thing I want for my kids. I don't want spite kids uh, because they're, you get, then the, here's the problem when you're, full of spite and anger and you're you're going against the people that say you can't do anything when you accomplish it it's, it's for them more so than yourself yeah and you're still angry yeah and you can't enjoy the success because you're so True. worried about oh you said i didn't have what it takes in football you know you just said you didn't and i, and I was lost i got a lot of fights i was fight every time i was on the weekend i would get in a if i went to the bar i get in a fight uh a lot of times I got hired as a bodyguard or bouncing because of my reputation. Uh, and when you're light skinned and you're known for fighting and you have no bruises, people want to be around you because this marks mm. up, you know, so you don't like to get hit. You do the hit, not the hit. And so uh, I could have could have just ended up being somebody's thug. Uh, I just unfortunately or fortunately for me, I had developed my brain enough to felt like, man, is this really how you want to live your life? Right. Bodyguard bodyguarding for Snoop was great. I loved coaching youth football with him, but standing behind another man just didn't sit right with me, you know? Now, you were a security detail before you got into your wrestling career. Um, kind of, the, everything with me kind of happens at around the same time. Wow, so, okay. Um, I was, uh, I came out of college. I hadn't graduated yet. I went uh, to go to a combine with a bad knee and I wouldn't listen to anybody. And then I got mixed up with, you know, guys who, young athletes with talent are can be subjected to some really shady people and uh, one of the guys that i was around was a known drug dealer but he was wanting to be in a sports agent so you know when he's i'm gonna get you here i'm gonna get you here you know they fill promises and then nothing really develops and right. stuff and then eventually he got me a deal that i probably could have got myself uh with an arena football team so i was playing arena football for a little while and um started getting uh, I think I had a, I think it was all, all league or something like that. And then started having an opportunity and, and moved to Texas to train. And, and in what position, in what position were you in football? I was guard and tackle. Well, arena football, you got to go both ways, but um, yeah. predominantly as off the line. And uh, then you just get to a point where my dream was to play on the, the smell of the grass, the, the football field and, you know, becoming an arena football player. Uh, for, I think mean, it was like 1300 bucks a week, I think, which was a lot of money at the time, but then they take taxes out, moving around and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it just, and I started teaching at the same time. And eventually I was just like, this is, I had to accept the fact that this chapter of my life was ending. I had a freak appendix injury and oh. uh, really affected my, the surgery and stuff. It really affected my mobility. And uh, I was just kind of like, I got to move on from this. And it, and it sucked. It was a hard thing to let go. And then you have the golden ticket where I could spend the rest of my life saying, well, I was I got the knee injury and then my appendix yeah. went and I had a bad agent. Yeah. And I could tell them that story for the next 40 years on my porch to anyone. Well, it won't be mine. I'll be renting. Um, <laughs> and true. be telling that story to everyone who wants to listen. I call it the golden ticket. And I uh, just never liked being 
uh, unemployed. I never liked being quote a loser. And so, uh, and when you're six, eight, you can't really hide. And people right. will and I feel like people have expectations of, of how you should have turned out, right? Like, oh, you could have been a spectacular athlete or just by sheer size alone. A lot of times that's enough to draw in lots of other opportunities. They do say tall men have far more of an advantage than shorter men. So, yeah, well, they also get the all eyes on them, you know, because you always hear, yeah. well, if I had your height and size, I'd be a millionaire. Oh, right. You know, you're just like, right. But you don't, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then you're, like, you're trying to just get a regular job. I was working at Godfather's Pizza and then the owner had a, a basketball league he played in. So, hey, can you come play in my basketball league? And you're dunking <laughs> on a bunch of older white guys. You look like Magic Johnson on the court and stuff. And everyone's like, man, I can't believe this guy is making pizza. Like, why aren't yeah. you doing something? You know, and I'm like, don't you think I've tried? Like, do you think I want to be having to, you know, to Flipping be in this pizzas, basketball league? Right. But uh, you do what you have to do. It's humbling. But it's it's one thing I will say, though. I never get in a position where I think, ah, man, I made it. I'm so much better than everybody else. Because yeah. I had those jobs uh, where you wear that uniform that doesn't quite fit right. And I worked at Burger King uh, where I stacked shelves at Walmart. Yeah. Like I, I've had to do what I had to do because, uh, fortunately, I just didn't have that support system. I couldn't go home to mom and dad. I couldn't even go to grandma or aunt or uncle. Like when I was, when I'm on my own, I was on my own. Mm -hmm. So um, that served me well. But then a funny thing about hard work and keep at it, things happen, weird things happen. And uh, I was bodyguarding for Snoop. I was, uh, I was also. And how did you get hooked up with Snoop in the first place? So everything with me for a while came about from fighting. I don't talk about it a lot. Uh -huh. But uh, I worked at a club called in Saddle called Unit Saddle Ranch. I worked for uh, I was also a bodyguard for the owner Larry Pollock, a really great man, and um, we ran one of the biggest clubs in LA. Had probably about thirteen hundred people there on the weekend. I mean, it was like it was the Wild West, dancing on tables and bars, drinks this big. Like it was so. By the the club opened at like ten thirty. By twelve o'clock, everybody in there's oh, a giant God. killer. You know, and people would come. So you had your work cut out for you, right? Then and I put, drunk idiots. <laughs> and I was a part of the biggest crew in the history. Michael Clark Duncan, rest his soul, was originally in charge of the bodyguard crew that I got on. And I started working with them when I was young, like nine, 18, 19, mm -hmm. something like that. And then uh, he started making movies. And then Cornelius Harold took over. And uh, he was like, he was, he had seen everything. Like he had seen everything. He was another guy who was a, a great college athlete. Things didn't work out at the pro level. Uh, had a family young and did the right thing and decided to take care of his family. So I really looked up to him and he would get me gigs and stuff. And we'd be a part of this crew. And the smallest guy in our crew was like 6'6". Six, six. Tallest guy was seven foot. Uh, a guy named Tiny. I hate nicknames, but we called him Tiny. But um, And uh, we just... Like we ruled the bodyguard world in LA for a while and clubs and stuff. So uh, fights would break out and it would become like show and tell basically. Cause you got to go, listen, these weren't, it was one, a couple guys that were like supposedly like one guy was supposedly a, a dojo monster karate, whatever. And I yeah. bounced him out of the club and he gave me his business card and said to meet him in his dojo on Thursday at five o'clock to find out mm -hmm. what really happened. I was like, all right, bro, I'll be there. But one night in particular, uh, there was two, again, uh, there was these two, uh, what do we call it? Uh, small people, midgets, small people. Yeah. And these guys got drunk and they were walking around pulling girls' dresses and stuff on the dance floor. So, And we didn't wear headsets because we were so tall. So I'd be sitting there in a cross and you'd be like an ocean full of, and a lot of times the women will dance in groups. Like they, it's like a herd. They form a protective herd to keep the creepy guys off them. So the girls with a lot of the women would dance in these big groups and you'd see them dancing and the head would disappear and then pop up and be like, like they had been fondled or something. They're like looking around and, and you just kept seeing it like head pop, boom, boom. You're like, what the, and I'm looking across and I finally go, something's going on over there. So I walk over there and I ask ladies like, what's going on? They're like, someone grabbed my butt and they pulled my dress. And I was like, what is going on? And I'm like, who I'm looking, I'm looking. And then I just see the one little heads disappear in the crowd. So I'm like pushing through the sea, trying to find this little dude. 
And I'm like, hey, man, can I talk to you a minute? Homie, come here. Can I talk? holler at you? I said, you aren't grabbing women and stuff. And he was like, no. And uh, I was like, uh, whatever you're doing, cut it out. Like, just, I'm not going to throw yeah. you out. Cut out. What I didn't realize is that he had a homie with another little guy who was on this side of me. And he hit me, <gasps> punched me in the stomach. And I just went, wait a minute. <laughs> Did you just hit me? And the little dude was like, what? And while I said that to him, other dude hit me. So the two of them decided to attack me because I guess at a combined height, they were six four. <laughs> so they tried to hit me. And I grabbed them. And the only thing I could do, because it was crowded, was knock their little heads together. And when I knocked their little heads together, unfortunately, they took a head. Uh -oh. They got it knocked out. Good, good night. And their little, the little butts are in the air. So I just picked them up with what I affectionately <laughs> now call a suitcase carry. I picked them up by the belts. And walked them out. And I'm carrying them. And they're seeing this monster carrying out these two little bodies. And I put them in the front. And tell the dudes they're done. They can't come back in. And I turn to walk out. And there's Tommy Dreamer from the WWE going, I've never seen any shit like that in my entire life. Wow. doing that on TV. And I was like, you need, yeah, whatever, man. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, wrestling's going to be interested in me. And um, I said, I'll tell you what. I got a job for you here, too, if you want. And Tommy was like, I'll work the rest of the night. And Tommy Dreamer bounced the club the rest of the night with us. No. And, uh, yeah, our relationship was built then. I gave him my information. Didn't hear from him. Um, like maybe three months later, I'm driving my car, just finished teaching class, getting ready to go to the gym before I go bounce the clubs. And he's like, hey. Uh, and it was Sergeant Slaughter who found my picture, who found my picture and stuff. It was like, I like this dude's face. And uh something about him and Tommy's like hey I submitted it and they're they're interested they want to bring you in wow, for a try so that's how you got into pro wrestling yeah actually real fighting and um and then it was um I went to McDonough Georgia at that time I was working nights for Snoop I had got on the same thing the reputation one of our uh big Stephen okay, Keys so he wanted to hire you knowing you were a badass get to the WWE didn't really it it worked. Bill DeMont was my trainer uh, and things were going really well. It was just, I was super stiff and aggressive and trying to figure that out. I'd watched wrestling my whole life. Um, and then we moved from McDonough to Florida and then I just didn't jive with the new head trainer and stuff. And, and we just, you know, and things got, you know, it was like, it just didn't really work. And whenever a new regime takes over, they want to get rid of the, they want their guys in. Yeah. And, uh, was and, this, uh, were, was, you, were you in WWE or were you in the, um? what was the uh, other territory that was? I was in the, I was, my paycheck, my paycheck said WWE had FCW and they had. FCW, OVW. that's right. That's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking that, of. Now they have the training facility in Orlando or NXT. And it, before right. NXT, it was FCW and OVW. Mm -hmm. And then um, then it was just FCW. And then FCW then morphed into NXT. So I was at FCW um, and never made TV. And then uh, they released me, fired me. And um, I went back, to, I made a phone call that day, called Big Keys. I was like, hey, is there any spots with Snoop? I'm done wrestling or whatever. Uh, looked at it as a failure. If you didn't make TV, in my opinion, you didn't make it. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, and you dust yourself off. But I, I literally, I, my rule has always been I can mourn something for a day. I'm allowed to feel bad and hurt for a day. Like you can, you know. And you still, you still live by that mentality? 1,000%. Uh, you got, it's actually shorter now. Now it's, um, you're allowed four hours. And um, wow. I, 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 wish, I wish I could follow that. I'll, I'll dwell on things for weeks. I'll tell myself but I'm you get good, it out. I'm good. And then, and then it'll creep back in. I'll wake up a big middle of the night. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm beside myself. So that's a good mentality if you can manage. If you go in the mirror and you let your emotions out to yourself, not somebody else. And having support is good also. But like, man, I got fired and I hate it. Like I, I did my best. And you let that raw emotion out to yourself. The man in the mirror, you will see how ridiculous you look. And you will be like, I'm not going to look like this again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find another job. They're going to wish they never fired. And then I called uh, Big Keys and he's like, yeah, I can get you back on nights. Okay. And But nights went from uh, day's time to, and then the the coaching of the football stuff happened. 
because his offensive line blocked like they were from the 60s. I couldn't take it. And I was like, hey, boss, just one thing. Don't mean to interrupt. I'm supposed to be watching your back. But these dudes got to play with their hands, man. And they're like, uh, you know, because no one respects the offensive line. And uh, they they gave me five kids that were like misfits. And they said, you can have them for an hour and see what you can do. And then we came back and we kicked first team's ass. Oh, sorry. But and um, then I was coaching youth football with him and then um, bodyguarding. And then pretty soon it was just me and Keys going everywhere with them. And a lot of times it was just me. And it just kind of, and we're sitting and, there. And what, kind of, what kind of things would you get into? Like, was, I mean, listen, Snoop's I don't know boring. much about Snoop. Here's the thing about Snoop. He's, he's boring. He's, he is. He's boring. He's like, he's not boring. He's smart. He only goes to a club. Right, of course. If you're getting into trouble all the time, that's probably not the wise thing to do. Yeah, like, if you're going to, if Snoop goes to a nightclub, it's because he's been paid 10 to 50 grand to be there and perform. He ain't hanging out. Like, hanging out. Yeah. Snoop always said, if you hanging out, you missing out on money. And yep. one of the things is like you learn from everyone. If you work underneath somebody, you need to learn from. Them. If you can learn from a boss, doesn't necessarily have to be Snoop Dogg, but he, they got there for a reason. And you, I'm a sponge. I try to absorb everything. And listening to him and just, and then that's and one of the things that got me over because I made a lot of jokes when I was bouncing people around and yeah. with some stuff that went down in Russia and I might have thrown a guy down some stairs. Um, and his shoes came off when I hit him. And I remember uh, I only threw one shoe down. And a guy from Simon & Schuster, who was with us on the tour in Russia, said, hey, does anyone know who this velvet shoe belongs to? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's crazy. Somebody lost a shoe? He's like, yeah. I was like, I don't know, man. I haven't seen it. Hmm. Did you see another shoe? And he's like, no. But I did see a man crying in a foreign language down at the bottom of the stairs. Maybe it's his. Like, maybe, I maybe have it. nothing to say on that matter. I have no idea. This is crazy. You know, he's like, yeah, it's crazy. I think we need to go to the consulate now. And I was like, all right, boss, let's get the hell out of here. But we, um, and it, it just kind of, Snoop found me entertaining. And it, it, the boss, like his wife thought I was funny as hell. So it just kind of one-liners to people when they're trying to get pictures and stuff. And it just, it just kind of developed and carried out. And then. Uh, we went to a tour in Europe and then Snoop was hosting Monday Night Raw. And I was like, not going. Oh. Switch me out. Uh, let someone else come in. I got fired. Why would you? Well, wouldn't want that to be kind back? of like a, oh, I mean, I guess you're right. You, that's not the, the way you want to represent yourself. I got fired. Now I'm working as a bodyguard when obviously you had bigger goals well, for yourself. Bodyguard, uh, being an executive protection for Snoop, uh, being a bodyguard for Snoop is one of the highest paying. Oh, well, then. You've seen all over the world. You know, um, you make you're your own boss, pretty much. He's non-confrontational. Yeah. And uh, you're with one of the most popular, iconic people uh, on the planet. So it really wasn't about that. I just don't. You just like, didn't want to. I didn't want to see him. You know, yeah. I didn't want to be like, because to be backstage, because I remember the guys who got let go, who would go backstage hoping to find a job because they didn't have it, you know. Right. And the pain and the, and the humiliation that they would be subjected to. I was, you know, waiting. They're just trying to put food on the table and do what they love to do and waiting for oh, a job. I, I, can, I can remember also like when working yeah. in WWE, not even um, the guys who were looking for another job, even a lot of the guys within the companies and women who would yeah. come to TV week after week. And, you know, they'd be making the minimum money, but they wouldn't get put on TV it becomes very apparent your career is really going nowhere. It's a matter of now, like, am I going to get released? And, you know, when am I going to yeah. get released? And it was actually very sad. I, I felt for a lot of people who worked at the company. And I was always like, you ain't going to catch me like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm fired. Boom, I'm moving on. Uh, I didn't even take indie bookings. I was like, nope, if I can't do it, I'm going to move on. And um, But you did end up doing it. Well, because Snoop wouldn't let me switch out. He was like, no, you need to. He's like, you're winning. Like, why would you not want them to see you? Like, yeah. you're, it's not like you know you need them. And uh, I was like, man. So we get there, uh, and uh, I remember we were coming out of the hotel, and Cody was staying at the same hotel. But like, I had a, like a chip on my shoulder. So Cody's like, good morning, and I just looked at him. He's like, hey, <laughs> like, what did I do? Stranger, yeah. Yeah. And then we get to the building, and I'm like, I'm just you. The tension in my finger, like, I'm just. I don't want to be here. I don't want to like, like, oh, I'm so sorry you got let go, you know. And a lot of the guys that I considered friends, I didn't hear from after I got fired. So that was another thing too that I just didn't feel like. Of course. Hearing. 
you know, you don't want the fake, oh, my God, I forgot to text you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Some of the guys I stay friends with forever, you know, and uh, but I didn't even tell them that I was coming. And uh, we get to the thing, we walk in the back, John Laronitis and John Cena come out to greet Snoop. And um, as soon as they Snoop sh- uh, shake Snoop's hand, they turn to me and Cena's like, hey, what's up, big man? How are you, man? I, I didn't even know you got let go. I said, yeah, it's crazy. And John was like, hey, kid, how are you? And I said, like, I'm good, boss. So, and then he's like, hey, you think we can talk later on? And I was like, sure, I'll just be standing by the door making sure no one bugs Snoop. And um, he came over and he's like, we made a mistake. And oh. uh, and I was like, say what? He's like, it's a lot of, it was a long story and we, we made a mistake. And if, would like to bring you back if you're interested. And I said, wait, this just came literally to- at that moment when you hadn't heard a word from them for how long at this point? I didn't talk to them. They didn't talk to me, you know, wow, like a breakup. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't call to check, you know, it's over. It's over. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no staying Facebook friends. None of that. It's over. Like we're done. We know, we know when I, we know each other no more. So uh, and I always feel like that's the best thing. You don't want to hang on to stuff and bad memories and all that kind of crap. So, um, and I was, I felt so proud that I said, can I have two weeks to think about it? He said, sure. So yeah. it felt great to be in that position. And then of course I was really enjoying, uh, what I was doing with Snoop. I loved working with the kids. We just beat Mike Allstart and them at the, the, Snooper Bowl, which is right next to we usually Super Bowl weekend, whatever city the Super Bowl's in, he flies the kids out, uh, and then we have a youth football game. So uh, it was a really tough decision. Do I want to take the chance? I didn't make TV last time, so I went to Snoop and asked him like what he thought, and he's like, "You need to go." He says, "You can always be my bodyguard." Oh, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, he's like, "You're just," he's like, "quote," he's G. You're just not a stand behind me kind of guy. Listen, I know last thing I want to do is let a good, good employee go. But like, there's just more for you. This isn't where you're supposed to be, but you can always come back here. But you you need to you need to take this. So mm-hmm. I did. I didn't. Think, and I called John and I said, hey, I'm back. I'm in. And of course, the rest. Uh, I did make TV. I uh, did do some good things. And then, you know, you get frustrated and you like get to a point where you think where you should be somewhere and they don't agree. And, and I've always kind of been outspoken when I don't like something and it just turned into that. And then next thing you know, um, I was out of WWE maybe a week and I get a call from TNA and I was like, sure. And then the weirdest thing happened. I'm at TNA and some trolls attacking Greg Gutfeld on, and I maybe watched red eye maybe 10 times in my life. And uh, it was just going, and somehow I got linked into it because they said he was as fake as wrestling. Or something like that. And somehow my name, Brodus Clay, got mixed up in it. And uh, I saw the guy was talking trash. And I just wrote, hey, man, maybe you just don't know us. What if we? What if I flew you out for the day? We got lunch, you know, just kind of hung out, maybe get a beer. And, you know, he's like, oh, my God, that'd be so great. Can I bring my friend? And I wrote back, no, and blocked <laughs> And I just wanted to get him, you know, I just wanted to fucking ass troll. And yeah. I get from Gutfeld, that that's hilarious, man. Would you consider coming on my show? So Gutfeld was just supposed to be a one-time, just one wow. guest. I, I did the show. In and what then, year was this? 2014. Okay. Oh, so wow. uh, I did one show. I did one show, and then yeah, Jesus. And um, he was like uh, during the first commercial break, he was like. Uh, man, if you lived in New York, I'd make you a co-host. And I was like, yeah, I ain't happening. And I was still focused on my wrestling career. And uh, my goal at the time was to get myself so over uh, that I'd go back to the WWE. And uh, I was reinventing myself as Tyrus. And um, think that, that was going well. And I was Tyrus on Gutfeld. And he's like, what about once a month? I'm like, yeah, I can do once a month. Just depends on my bookings and all yeah. that. And uh, I was doing, and I started getting opportunities for auditions for movies and stuff. So, um, and then once a month, and then there was that infamous thing about uh, police brutality, where I, I talked about having two thoughts on the same subject, and it blew up the internet or whatever. And they're like, "We need you here. How much are they paying you in wrestling?" Wow. And so, um, so that's kind of how it happened. And then even then, I was like, "I'm just working one day a week for Fox, you know, or yeah. I come in 
Friday, and then all of a sudden Dana Perino is asking me to come on the show, America's Newsroom. You, this is this is a this is a, a curveball you never saw coming. No, oh no! If you would have asked me when I was chilling with the homies in the gym, like you're going to be on a conservative TV network like, on a regular basis, you know, doing yeah. your thing, you would have been like, no way, no way. I was like every other brother who doesn't pay much attention to politics and stuff. You just assume the Fox network is uh, all you listen to all the stereotypes, you know, you yes. think shot. He's one of the worst dudes on the planet. Um, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and at that time, I think uh, Bill O'Reilly and had said some bad stuff about Snoop or something like that on, on Fox or whatever. So really didn't think very much of it, but it was never a time in my life. Where, like if this stuff don't work out, I'm gonna go down to Fox and tell them how it is. Never, never came across. So, uh, and I was afraid of it. I was like, oh man, this might hurt my acting career, this, that, whatever. But then I was like, uh, it just kept developing. And, and, um, there was some backlash. There's always backlash. There's always people going to hate, but it doesn't matter what you do. Someone's always, especially in this day and age on social media, everyone is always a, a genius. Oh yeah. Um, I, I can attest to that too. Yeah. It's like, but at the end of the day, whatever, man. And, it just kind of grew and grew. And then I realized that I didn't have to beat my body up for the rest of my life, which was nice. Um, I still continued to wrestle. And then uh, I took a break and then uh, started doing stuff with NWA with Billy. And of course, won the title. And then I'm doing Super Bowl commercials with the most prestigious, oldest championship on my shoulder. And it just kind of grew. And and then uh, Greg was on me about the stand-up comedy stuff. He kept saying like, you know, you just, if you did stand up, I'm going to lose you. And I said, no, nah, man, I'm not, you know, I can do both. And then um, Ingrid, my yeah. wife started putting together the, the the concerts and stuff and they started selling out. And then at the same time I started writing a book. So everything just kind of like, just kind of falls into place. But if you're, if your goal is to improve, that's usually how it happens. Yeah, you know? I mean, if your goal is to improve and you have the right head on your shoulders, the right skill set, the right connections, you know, you've treated people well. Um, I mean, it all comes back, right? Yeah, don't burn bridges. No matter how much you want to think going out. You always hear the term going out in a blaze of glory. No, yeah. because it's a small world. And uh, I think Samuel Jackson uh, said it best. The toes you step on today might be connected to the ass you have to kiss later on. Absolutely. So think, so think about that. But um, it just is one of those things where there's no you also have, you also cannot trust your feelings like uh, feelings are are lies. You tell yourself to feel better. Yeah. So they're very you, know, you have to be honest with yourself. If nobody else, you got to be real with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, damn right. Well, when you walk off the set, whether you had a good show or not. You don't need some uh, production assistant or a PA to tell you, oh, good show. Because they're going to say good show no matter what. Of course. They're not going to be like, ah, you could have been a little bit, you know, no one, you know, you know. So I don't look to uh, affirmation. You're your own critic. You have to be. Yeah. And I still, and, and the things that brought you to the dance, football was about preparation and film study and wrestling. It was, I did the same thing there. And and with Fox, it's the same thing. Like after I do a show, when I get my butt back to the hotel, I mean, I watch my Celtics for a little bit. But when 10 o'clock comes on or whatever show I'm on, I watch it and I can pick out five things I should have done better every night. Like I'll always find stuff. I don't because the way my brain works, I don't really have to make a note of it. But if you if you don't think like I think, um, make notes about yourself. Be the to where if someone says something bad about you, you're like, I'm way ahead of you, bro. I'm three steps ahead of you. So, and I think that also keeps you to want to improve. There's nothing worse than someone's like, well, I made it. I'm great. I'm yeah. good. Cause it's over at that point. It's over. And, um, that's kind of how it works for me. And I accept, you have to accept failure. You have to embrace failure because you're going to fail. I have had a lot of successes, but every one of my success, the roots are in some serious failure. I mean, there was yeah, times if, I was if like, you don't fail, you don't learn. I mean, they're all lessons you that we learn along the way. If you have only success, you'll never appreciate the success because you don't know anything else. Yeah, and then, and then you get the excuse tour, and then you blame everybody else for your problem. Yeah, been there. And, yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's feelings are the thing right now. Everyone's into their own feelings. Everyone's special. Everyone's Facebook page is what everybody watches.
Uh, and it's a real advantage for those of us who continue to, because the only person you can really fix, the only person you can fix is yourself. So, you know, someone doesn't like you, you can't do anything about that. But you can look at in every situation ways you can do things better. Like I could blame the, the, the guy who didn't like me at FCW, but you know what? I didn't need to always have a bad attitude around him. I allowed his perception yeah. of me to reflect because then I had an attitude. And then, so I, I gave him exactly what he wanted. He might not have liked me on the surface, but I was you fed into allowed it. myself to fall into those games. And if you look back in every situation, you'll see like, oh man, you know what? I could have been the adult in the room in that situation. Yeah. Well, he didn't like me because I was black. Okay. But what is that? He's one person. But yeah, everyone absolutely. else didn't like me because of my attitude, because of I let him get to me when like, and I always have a saying and I tell my kids all the time when they're like, what do you say when people boo you and stuff? Like I played on the road and I was a bad guy and I love the boos and the people who boo me. I know what they cheer for and it gives me self-esteem. So people booing you lets you know you're doing a really good job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're getting emotion from people. You're doing something right. And that's actually, you just touched upon, you know, kind of instilling some of these lessons that you've learned in your children. How many, how many kids do you have? Six. Okay. Six. Well, kids. four. four <laughs> like that is a, that is a loaded a. question. <laughs> yeah. No, I got, um, I, I myself have four, um, okay. but, and, um, it's, it's a funny thing because I had zero skill set on fatherhood had no idea no desire didn't want to be a father at all didn't want a family in those terms uh and so i basically learned on the job but and then you get to a point where like sometimes it's the, the great... best learning you can do though yeah oh man my i don't think i would have the the balance in my life if it wasn't for um being a dad because my decisions and not to mention kids are entertaining like some of my best bit my kids crack <laughs> me all the time like oh my god kids are great yeah say. and the fact that i raise my kids to speak their minds even if it means it's going to be bad and my nine-year-old georgie has excelled at that she will you know and just watching them and you get to relive but you can't live through your kids though see that's of the course. thing you gotta like but they all have their own little personalities and stuff. And every one of them thinks they can do my job on TV, which cracks me up. And I'll, I'll let them do the you little show. You should bring show. them on one day. That would be so funny. Well, They've we'll done it. Here. They've done it. Um, my my daughter, Georgie's even done stand-up. My daughter, Nairi, and Georgie have done stand-up with me on my tours. Uh, they I filmed sketches with them uh, on Gutfeld Show uh, and, and I think Fox Saturday Night. And then uh, they used to come on uh, Tyrus and Tim when we were doing the podcast. They would come on and, and they would speak, you know, to ask them world questions and stuff. And they have absolutely no idea. But the funny thing about kids is whatever they don't know, they make up. When you're an adult, you're a liar. Yeah. When you, when kids yeah. do it, they got a good imagination. So <laughs> although we have a lot of people, uh, including our president, who like to make things up uh, that are completely untrue. Yeah, but when an adult that, but... does it, adult does it. It's not cute. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not. You're a liar. That's you know when kids start telling me like, uh, like, oh man, you know, is the world flat or is it round? I'm like, well, it depends. I think it's round during the day when the sun goes up. Yes. But when the sun goes down, it flattens out and that's why it's dark. Ah, okay. How did you know that? Well, everybody knows that dad. Like, you know, but if it was an adult saying that, be like, sir, you're a liar. Yes, sir. You <laughs> so, have issues. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. And they're all into their own stuff. And uh, my son is uh, he wants to, he wants to play football really bad, but he's playing baseball and he's doing travel ball. Uh, I just, you know, and one of the things I know we we're going to talk about today was I think the state of California is talking about taking out contact football. Yeah, uh, they're considering yeah for for twelve and under, no more tackle football, just because they find it to be too dangerous, risk of CTE, concussions, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that's what parents are for, and what you look at the negative aspect of of one part of something, they're forgetting the fact that. That football, that aggression, for especially for young men, and I know we live in a time where no one wants to admit that there's differences between men and women, but there are huge differences. And one of the things that I notice, especially with 
young men coming from tough backgrounds. They've got to get that aggression out. Yeah. In a, in a productive, positive way at that too, right? Rough, rough kids from rough backgrounds, especially young men, we got to get that out in a positive controlled way. That aggression has to come out and football was great for me. Football, you know, I think it's people who the unaffected make these decisions. People who didn't play football, don't like football, want to get rid of football. But when you see what it does, especially the Snoop's Youth Football League, brings kids together, gives them opportunities, keeps them off the street, gives them stuff to get it out there. They're learning discipline. They're learning camaraderie. They're learning to respect adults. They're learning yeah. to believe in something and fight for something. And sometimes you've got to go, you got to walk through a little bit of fire. And when the fire is controlled, and what I mean by that is like, as a parent, it's the same thing with my kids. If I see my kids climbing a swing and I told them, hey, don't do that. You're probably going to fall. I only tell them once for one reason, because I'm there. And when they fall and Scrape their little elbow and they do the <laughs> cry. I'm right there going, yeah. what did daddy tell you? Life lesson, you know, and, and football for young men. I, for me, I don't know where I'd be without without football. I don't know where I'd be without sports. When you start taking sports away, then you're going to say, hey, we got to stop kids from playing basketball because they could tear their knees out. And they can't play baseball because imagine if they get hit in the head with baseball, they could have brain damage. You know, life's dangerous. Also, the kids sitting on – you should be more concerned about a kid sitting on the couch all day watching – daytime tv and getting that their idea of kids and weighing 250 pounds at, yes. at 13 years old that's they got yeah they don't have concussions but they got early onset obesity diabetes heart disease being you know socially not accepted by yeah men mentally ill TVs. you know you have kids just mindlessly yeah. scrolling on the phones for hours getting insecure and looking at what everyone else is doing and seeing all the the crap on social media that's being pushed their way. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the risk, the risk of a concussion uh, when playing football at a young age far outweighs uh, the other things that could go wrong if you don't let them live their lives as kids. You know, my kids aren't allowed on social media at all. We don't have social media Part. at all. My kids, I don't give a damn what it is. TikTok, none of that stuff. They don't need it. There's no point for it. Nope. Go outside and play. Uh, yeah. and, but also... I've noticed a big difference with my kids, with other kids, in interactions. My kids are in your face. Hey, how are you? Want to go outside and play? Want to do this? Want to do that? And other kids are like, what games do you have? Oh, I only play Xbox with my dad under supervision. Or my dad will let me on my on the iPad because I FaceTime my kids every day. I'm a FaceTime dad because I'm on the road. So, But everything is controlled. Everything is – there is no just wandering. There is no safe space. And to mm -hmm. go back to the – you should be fighting obesity and kids not being into things because that's what ends up with them falling in line with the groomers and the, and the yeah. online chats. I just recently saw a report, a guy got online pretending to be a 13 year old girl in a chat room and was maybe five seconds before 47 year old men were trying to hook up with her. That's oh what's on, God. that's what's on social media. That's yeah. not an exaggeration. Now we talk about, you know, and they've tricked us to where, Oh, you can't go outside anymore. Because, you know, the it's dangerous. No, no, no. Right. The there's, danger there's criminals, is pedophiles, right? Yeah. They're not in the van outside of your house anymore. They're on roadblocks. They're on Fortnite. They don't have to be in a van anymore. They don't have to have a bag of candy and be like, oh hey, God. little boy, you want to get in the van? No, they become friends with them, convince them to run away from their parents to hang out with them from the day and never see them again. The bad guys are in your house on those little tablets and you and if you and, if, and I'm, this is not an exaggeration, this is not a conservative thing, a liberal thing. This is a parent thing. And if you don't believe me, go on any site, set yourself up as a 13 or 14 year old girl with a picture and see how many hits you get from oh grown adults. It's disgusting. That's what's on the Internet. And unfortunately, the apples of the world, they want they want the kid. TikTok is designed to keep kids on there. They want you know, it dumbs you down. It lowers your expectations. It gives you unbelievably real, unrealistic expectations. You're special. You're different. And if you don't fit in, you create a role for yourself. Well, I'm I'm half unicorn, half this. And so, therefore, I don't have to work hard. I don't have to educate myself. I don't have to do chores. I don't have to go out in society because I'm special. You know, and, that, and it's not special. They're, so, I would rather have my kids 
in sports. My my daughters play sports. One of my daughters plays basketball. The other one plays soccer. They both play football if they if I allowed them to. Uh, but their roles uh, are doing that. My son wants to play football, and the reason why I my kids are doing other things and not football one I, is because of my son's height and size. He is six foot one, and at twelve years old, and he's around uh, one hundred and eighty five pounds. He's a monster. So, but he's very young and innocent, and is still growing into his body. And he would have to play fourteen and fifteen year olds based on. Yeah. Wait and sign because of that. And that is not a good situation for him. So right. I'm like, there's a big difference between a, an innocent 12 year old who customizes his Dragon Ball Z action figures <laughs> and a 14 year old boy thinking about getting ready to go into high school playing football. So that's the reason if someone's like, why does your son not play football? Because right now he's too big, but yeah. he's training. I, he trains at a D1 facility. He's doing football drills there. He's He's got a mini combine three days a week. I am excited to see game tape of this guy. Uh, it sounds baseball, like he's impressive. on travel ball. He leads the league in RBIs and, and hits. He plays, he's ambidextrous. Oh, you know, it's weird. I'm ambidextrous. Uh, my kids, all my kids are ambidextrous. So he, he bats, he switch hits. He's got actually more power on the left than the right, but he pitches left. Uh, my daughter on soccer, either foot don't matter. She can lead with either one. And um, other than basketball, she can dribble back and forth. So we focus on working on that stuff. And, of course, everything's centered around education. You don't do your work. You don't play. Um, very simple rules to fall by, uh, follow by. But um, if my son was average size and he was could play within his age group, I would have absolutely no issues with him playing uh, yeah. football. Well, Tyrus, Ty you have – blown my there's mind a truly. there's a lot of stories that you shared <laughs> yeah, with me that i had no idea what direction they were going to go in um incredible your story is amazing uh, i feel like we're gonna have to have a part two no problem the so there's no so many more questions i had that we didn't even get to because we've already been talking for like almost an hour now so i'm gonna let you go i know you've got a lot of responsibilities on your plate it looks like you're in a hotel room right now uh, yeah, getting ready to head across to my office and get ready for uh, the Gutfeld show and a couple other shows. Amazing. Uh, well, it was so nice to catch up with you. So nice to get to know you uh, on a different level because I've done Gutfeld with you a handful of times now and it's always a pleasure to work with you. But this was awesome. So thank you so much for your time and part two incoming. All right. You take care. Thanks for having take me care. on. Outkick the morning. We'll be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. I did not expect that interview to be nearly as interesting as it was. Now, let me just say, I knew he was an interesting guy, uh, but I didn't expect his story to progress in the manner it did. But that's always why it's so interesting to get to talk to people uh, and talk to them in a more in-depth manner. So uh, happy to have brought you into the world of Tyrus. Uh, again, I, I do definitely believe a part two will be necessary, uh, but I wanna thank each and every one of you for being here with me on this Friday or whenever it is that you've decided to tune in to Outkick the Morning. Uh, brand new episodes, of course, like every week, will be coming your way as of Monday. But until then, uh, you can find me on social media at Charlie on TV. I'm working UFC this weekend. Uh, so if you are UFC fans, Fight Night, first one of 2024, airing this Saturday. Yours truly will be reporting, so I hope you'll check it out. Uh, but otherwise, everyone, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Spend some good time with friends and family. Eat some good food, and I will see you on Monday.